Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. We are Vicky B and Sammy Z, two cousins creating a space for women to laugh, grow, and stumble through their 20s. This community is all about embracing your inner weirdo while manifesting that boss ass babe you know you are. Grab a drink and get ready for lots of laughs, honest chats, and authentic advice every Thursday. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. And don't forget, to follow us on Instagram at Stumbling Along. And here's this week's episode of Stumbling Along with Vicky B and Sammy Z. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Hey, Stumblers, we are tiptoeing our way closer to Christmas, and we could not be more excited. <laughs> wow, I had no idea you were going to open it like that. Wow. <laughs> Well, in in light of all the darkness that is happening, um, we thought it was super important to bring awareness to that and help you guys on this episode with how to cope with everything that's going on with the seasons changing. Yes, the days are getting shorter and darker and with the pandemic and things going back to your red zone, lockdown, it's hard. It's difficult. And um, we brought on Becca, who is a therapist in Denver, Colorado, who helps, who's passionate about helping millennials. And she also teaches at a postgrad program. And she gave us so many good tips on coping with seasonal depression and the winter blues. Um, before we get started, Sam, how are you feeling with the days getting darker? Like, what is it like in the UK in terms of weather? Well, the UK is never sunny, so we are constantly living in a state of gray and black and darkness. Um, so far, I would say I'm actually coping quite well. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm very much still on a routine with work. Um, so I think that is kind of what's holding me together at this moment. Um, getting closer to Christmas, we'll have to see as I won't be home for Christmas. I think that could change with the emotions. Um, but as of right now, we're holding the fort down. How about you, Vicky B? Um, I feel like I feel those feelings whenever it's gray outside, whenever it's like cold and gray and like you don't want to go outside and it's not sunny and you're like, what am I going to do today? Still like not doing a whole lot of work. So um, yeah, so it's finding stuff to do, but also the weather, it definitely impacts how I'm feeling day to day. Well, I think without a second longer, we need to dive right into this recording and hear all the things that Becca has to say about seasonal depression and how us millennials and Gen Y, Gen Ys can cope. Gen Z, girl. Gen, Gen Z. Z. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's what I meant. Let's roll the tape, shall we? Woo! Press that play button, girl. Hey, Becca. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're so excited to talk about how we can beat seasonal depression as, you know, the months get colder and darker earlier, and especially since a lot of us are in a lockdown and can't see people and can't do a whole lot and are stuck at home. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it, too. And I think it's interesting that you said to beat it, which I'm not sure is completely possible, actually. Yeah. Survive it, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, to survive it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, can you tell us where you're at and what is going on in your region, just so the listeners know too? 
Yeah, I'm in Denver, Colorado, and um, our rates of COVID are really high. We're in a uh, red level lockdown. Um, and I mean, I think we all experience this, but um, I can remember my last day at work was March 17th. And I was just um, ending, um, like, I, got, I just switched, I switched planners for the new year. Um, and I was looking back at how I was like marking quarantine as though it was going to be the short thing that I wanted to yeah. remember. And it turns out that it's become our life in 2020. So, oh my God, I did the same thing. Like I wrote in my journal, like I tried to like write something like a bit every day, just thinking like, oh, this could be fun to look back on and just mm-hmm. like kind of monumental in a way. But yeah, it's become the new normal. I know it's, it's crazy to enter into something that we can't even imagine. And, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And how have you been coping through it all? Yeah. Um, I think that I've been, there's a lot of different ways and I'm, I think about a lot of them are the things I'm going to talk about for, um, how to cope with, um, seasonal affective disorder, sad or the winter blues. Um, and, um, you know, I think that the main thing for me is keeping my rhythms. That feels like my biggest thing. My biggest thing is having a morning routine that sets me up for my day. And then the other part for me, and especially in Colorado where, um, our weather is a little bit all over the place. Um, like it, you know, snowed in October and then it was also 80 degrees in October. Um, yeah. So, and now it's getting consistent, more consistently cold. Um, but is, is getting outside. Cause I think oftentimes, um, I used to think that when it got cold, that meant no more outside. And I think what that really needs to mean is just different clothes. So you can go outside. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I'm starting to learn that as well. Um, Anyways, yeah. yeah. Should we jump right into it then? Yeah. Perfect. So first, can you you explain what seasonal depression is or what the actual term for it is? Yeah. So it's seasonal affective disorder is actually, you know, in, in the world of psychology, we gather um, like clusters of symptoms and then create what you might know as a diagnosis, right? And um, so people are really, really uh, strange about diagnoses. They either don't want one or they really want one. And really it's on a, it's just a cluster of symptoms that is normal and lots of people um lots of people experience and that way we can study, okay, so in this, with this cluster of symptoms, what's the best treatment option? So my first thing is to not give too much power to a diagnosis. Um, If it's helpful to have it, to have a name for what you're experiencing, then let that be helpful. If it's not helpful to label it because it feels stigmatizing or it makes you feel more sad, then you don't have to um, subscribe to the label um, of a diagnosis, but seasonal affective disorder falls under major depressive disorder. But what makes it different is that it happens seasonally. So when the um, and and usually and not always, but usually when um, the days are shorter, um, so the time changes after the winter solstice or when is the winter? No, before the winter solstice, but um, after the fall solstice and. Um, And it, you know, the, it's a little bit different than depression. Um, Its main components are things like um, feeling fatigue and um, oversleeping. So that could be a symptom, irritability, 
um, appetite change, um, and just kind of a feeling of feeling off. Like I don't feel quite right. I don't feel quite as happy as I normally do. Um, and, um, it feels directly correlated to the season change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like so many more people have go through this feeling than we think. Yeah. And this is the, actually, that's why I actually like label. I don't like labeling people, but that's why I like the labels in the DSM. Cause I think it gives us language to our experience. Um, and so we can, we can go, oh my gosh, I go through that. And then if I can name that, that's what I go through, then I can do something about it. Whereas mm -hmm. before, if you're just like, I don't know, I'm just sad and down and I don't know that that's a thing. I may just suffer through it instead of cope through it. Mm -hmm. How, cause I know a lot of people will say, oh, I'm experiencing sad. Um, but how can you really tell if you are truly experiencing it versus maybe like an off day in a winter? Because I know a lot of people will just use the term without understanding the magnitude of what it could mean. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? You're right. So, and that's, you know, that's where we want to give weight to people who are experiencing mental health concerns and not just our normal everyday emotions. And I think the difference is that, um, and this is why I said seasonal affective disorder or winter blues, and that may be a way winter blues is something we all probably experience. I would say most people, I don't know that I've met somebody who, who hasn't had down days in the winter due to, um, the days being shorter and less sunlight. Um, and, so people who are struggling with it, it's pervasive, right? It feels like they can't just meet up with a friend and it makes it feel better, right? And that's why um, that's why you would want a formal diagnosis because then the treatment will be just a little bit more intense. Um, because if you have winter blues, you may be able to uh, beat it or stave it off by self-care. Um, but if you have seasonal affective disorder, you may need to enter into therapy or get um, get on medication just for the season, which is something that that um, psychiatrists can do um, or use light box therapy. What's light box therapy? Yeah. 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 And so as I talk about this, I want you to mental health is always on a spectrum, right? It isn't you have it or you don't. We all fall somewhere along the line. As you asked, I just want to uh, reiterate that what makes you have it is if you think you have it. Like if it, if those, if those symptoms feel like you do, like, you know, you more than anyone, more than any therapist, more than any um, doctor could ever know. And so to trust that in yourself um, and um, a light box is um, I have one, um, but it's upstairs <laughs> um, is, is quite literally what it sounds like. It's a little box and it, it creates sunlight um, or it mimics sunlight um, and it's proven to be effective treatment for SAD. Um, and so um, it's something that they want you to, and doctors may have you sit, um, you sit like quite close to it actually, um, but it's a little bit like having sunlight on your face. So if you're in a place where there isn't sunlight um, or the sunlight isn't predictable, it's really good to have on your desk and give yourself um, some time in front of it. And it's not yes. like... It's not just like a flashlight in your face. It actually is a specific thing mimicking sunlight. And I can send you some some links to some light boxes. Yeah, please do. I need oh, that. I already know I need I that. Know. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think sometimes when we're 
we're talking about mental health. We often think about talk therapy and I'm a therapist, so I love therapy. Um, and we forget that there are things like this that, that matter, right? Like our body needs, needs things like vitamin D, right? And so you mm-hmm. can also, in addition to light box therapy, you might also want to check out supplements like vitamin D and B12. Mm-hmm. That is like one of my goals for this winter. Is to get on supplements? I think so. Or just to like make sh- – like get blood work and see what's yeah. happening there and like actually take care of myself in that way. Yeah, yeah. It's important. Yeah, I was yeah. going to – yeah, I was going to say this light box seems really important and it would be a great thing to have because I know especially in the context of the current day, like working from home, like I literally travel from my desk to the kitchen and back and I think there might be one – one window in that journey. So I don't really get much natural light in the day. I know. And for me, work I'm in my basement office. So I don't have I don't have sunlight down here either. So that's why it's really important. Um yeah. Yeah. Honestly, when I'm in my basement too working, like it's just so easy to fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Well and you can wake up before the sun comes up and then by the time you head, you know, out maybe to pick up something for dinner or something, it's dark again. So, and and it's so important. It's so important. On that note, can you give us some tips on how we can cope with seasonal effective or is it effective or defective? Like effective disorder. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, so I think the main things, the main like proven treatments for SAD are light therapy, talk therapy, and then medication. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is medication because that is always my last resort because of side effects, because, um, I think that sometimes we take medication before we, uh, work out what's really going on. But with SAD, if you've, if you've had SAD and you experience it, um, it's something to definitely talk to your primary care physician or your psychiatrist about because you can take medication just for the season, um, to, and, and to experiment with it. Um, and my press for medication is some people need medication to create the space to be able to do the work, right? So if you don't even have the space to do the work, then we could do all the talk therapy in the world. And if there is no space for hope or light or introspective introspection, then um, it's not going to be really helpful. And so that is my plug for it's okay to take medic- medication. Mm-hmm. Um if, you know, if this is a pervasive thing. And then the other thing is talk therapy. I think just talking to someone um, makes such a difference um, to be able to notice thought patterns and to be able to have someone help you with the uh, self-care things that can help um, be preventative for SAD. Um, So, you know, if you're just going at it alone, your chances of coping well um, are going to be hard. Right. And to, so, I mean, I'm obviously a big, um, uh, cheerleader for therapy, but, um, I think having that space for yourself to be a non-judgmental observer of yourself and to, um, know how you do things and then begin to shift, uh, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. How does, how do we become more self-reflective in that way? Yeah. Um, I mean, therapy is only is one tributary to self-knowledge, right? You can do lots of things. Um, I think journaling is one of those things. You mentioned that you journal. I think that's important. And and in I think with SAD, I think that how to be self-reflective 
is to notice and welcome your thoughts, um, to be really compassionate to the sadness, right? Why does it make sense that I feel sad, right? It makes sense because the days are shorter. It makes sense because I'm living through a global pandemic. Um, It makes sense because lots of sad things are happening around me, right? So to give compassion instead of feeling Mm -hmm. frustrated with those parts of us that, um, that are feeling big feelings, And then from there, you can speak truth to yourself. Only from a place of compassion can you then speak truth saying, um, my life is worth it. Then I can have authentic gratitude. Um, Here are the things that I'm going to do. Um, Here's what's real. I do have supports in my life, right? But I think what we people often do is they skip the compassionate piece and we just come at it with judgment and then we try to change it. I just, I just wanted to kind of point out that that piece that you mentioned. I feel like everyone always says like in order to overcome something, instantly start listing off like things you're grateful for or all the good in your life. But like not acknowledging why you're feeling that way is kind of like the missing puzzle, like the missing puzzle piece, I guess. Yeah, I think I really think that it is because um, it's kind of like when you're really sad and a friend tries to cheer you up by telling you like let's say you, I don't know, didn't get a job and your friend is like, that's okay. They don't know what they're missing. And while that may not be that, while that may be very true, it bypasses the feeling and our feelings are meant to be felt, right? Mm-hmm. They, and they demand to be felt. And if we don't give them space, they pop out in other ways, right? And so I think what people don't trust is if I feel the sadness and if I make sense of it and compassion compassionate with it, then I'll never leave. I'll just always be sad. And my encouragement is that no, that's the, that's actually the only way through, right. Mm -hmm. It's to to feel, is to feel your way through. I've definitely like been trying to work on that too, because I am someone who's like, always I'm a list person. So even if I'm feeling down or sad, like I'm like, oh, but I have to cross things off the list, but like learning to accept what I'm feeling and just like deal with the feelings first is honestly so helpful because you can kind of get over those feelings after you accept them sooner and then you can move on with what you need to do. But the longer you kind of drag that out, the longer you're going to like, you're not going to be able to get to that list or whatever you need to do as efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think we actually trip ourselves up more by ignoring our feelings. Um, If we just trust, if we give ourselves space, um, to feel anger, sadness, fear, guilt, regret, all those unpleasant feelings that we'd rather not feel. If we get curious about them and compassionate with them, then we can move through them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Definitely. And is there different tips for like the winter blues? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that ultimately, I believe that you know, so you, Vicky, you, Sammy, you listeners, like, you know, what feeds you. And so I think the question is to say, what's nurturing to me, right, is the big question. But I do have a list of things that work for me that we can kind of talk about. Yes. Um, yeah. And I mean, the first one is outdoors. Um, I was actually just listening this morning on NPR, they were doing something about um, how school children are really struggling and um, depression and suicide rates are up. And it was really sad and heavy, of course. But they were interviewing this family where this little girl um, kind of stopped drawing and she drew every day when she stopped going to school. And she went to an outdoor camp 
and it like brought her back to life. Aww. Yeah. And so I, th- I really think about getting outdoors and I think sometimes, especially in Colorado, um, when people think outdoors, they're like, oh, I have to be outdoorsy and I have to go on a hike and I have to have all of the gear. And what I mean about outdoors is taking a walk on, you know, taking a 10 minute walk, right. Mm-hmm. Um, going and sitting on a park bench and with your face up and letting yourself feel the sun. Um, knowing that that is a way to nurture yourself and in a busy world where um, productivity feels like the most important thing. I think that going outside for those reasons feels hard for some people mm-hmm. um, because if we're going out to exercise, then it needs to be, you know, for this long and it needs to be quote unquote worth it. Right. Or mm-hmm. um, I, could be doing, you know, this thing for work instead of sitting on a park bench with my face up to the sun, right? Or your mind just like keeps racing and racing when you try to go on that wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and so it's a it's a it's a paradigm shift of saying, I want to live in a world where taking care of myself is central, and that's not a selfish thing. That's how I can show up in this world. That's actually the most giving thing I could do, is by creating that time for myself. Um, and, and so along with the outdoors, I think boundaries feels really important because um, I could work all day and not go outside. And so when we talk about boundaries, boundaries is also caring for myself in that way and saying, for me, going, no, I can't schedule a client from noon to three because I'm going to take my dog for a walk and connect with some people on the phone and do some things that are taking care of me. Mm-hmm. Those are great tips. Yeah. I know it's been helping me too just to go for a walk. Yeah. Like a short one, at least at least once a day. Yeah. I was going to ask, beyond um, the outdoors, what are some, I guess, tips that millennials specifically can add into their daily routine or daily habits to kind of combat it or just to kind of naturalize it in as much as they can? Yeah. Um, and you know, thank you, Sammy, Vicki, you, you just said walking. And so I think movement is really important and this is another paradigm shift. So I'm a therapist, but I'm also, a um, intuitive eating, a certified intuitive eating counselor and I have a health at every size paradigm. And that, um, is kind of anti-diet culture. And this is, this feels really important. Movement feels really important um, because oftentimes we only exercise for body modification, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so I think something that millennials can do um, is, is move. And, and mm. the movement, whether that's on a bike or walking or um, just um, doing jumping jacks or whatever movement that you can do in your house, um, is a bilateral stimulation, and what that is, is your right brain and left brain connecting. So if you let yourself process something sad, let's say you're feeling sad and you're kind of saying, why does it make sense that I feel sad? Um, and can I meet myself with compassion? And you're moving while you do it. Um, that helps you process that sadness. It actually helps your brain move it to where it needs to go so that you can be go on. So that's one thing. I think the other thing is sleep. Um which um, sad is one of the things we think is the reason why seasonal affective disorder happens is because our melatonin 
we have uh, lesser mel- less melatonin because of less sunlight, right? Um, and yeah, and so it affects our sleep rhythms and our circadian rhythm is messed up. And so all of these things are kind of like interacting. And so sleep consistency, I think, is really important. And, and that means going to bed and waking up at the same time if possible, right? Because a lot of people do their bedtime routines based on like what's going on, mm-hmm. right? And one of the most helpful things you can do to keep yourself feeling normal um, during the winter is to say, I always go to bed at, you know, whatever time. And I always wake up at whatever time. Wow. Right. I did not know that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So my sleep schedule is all over the place. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And sleep, your sleep schedule being all over the place impacts your serotonin levels. It impacts your circadian rhythm. And then, then in turn, it impacts how you feel about yourself. And so I, that's a really hard thing to do, you know, especially if you are doing more social things on the weekends, but even on the weekends um, to have to, to practice waking up at the same time. Cause I know it's like tempting to be like, Oh, um, you know, unless you need more sleep, obviously listen to that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I have a question actually going for there. Cause you said that you also do deal with nutrition. Are there any like nutrition ways of coping or like foods that can improve your kind of like daily habits and help you cope with it? Yeah. And so that's an interesting question because one, um, one, I I talked about appetite changes and I think what happens is we, we get disconnected from our bodies. Right. And so, um, my uh, philosophy um, coming from an intuitive eating perspective is that it wouldn't be a specific food. Like, sure, there's, you know, every day there's a new like power food or superfood that mm-hmm. could be helpful. But I think the the main component here would be being connected with your body. So I think that when we're dealing with sad, we may find ourselves like being mindless in our eating or not being creative in our meal planning or um, just reaching for the most comforting thing, which can be good, right? Like you you can use food as comfort from time to time. We just don't want it to be your only coping skill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the question again that I would direct back, and I think that this may be irritating because people want advice, but um, therapists don't give advice. We direct you back <laughs> to yourself, right? That's like one of my clients who are like, well, but could you just tell me? And I tell you no. <laughs> because yeah. I trust that you know, right? And that's what intuitive eating is as well, is trusting yourself, but also being connected to yourself. So if you're feeling disconnected from yourself and that like you can't do that, that may be time to talk to a registered dietitian um, and to talk to a therapist about feeling I'm so disconnected that I am just mindlessly eating to see if we can get you connected back with your body. And so nutrition the nutrition advice that I would give would be making sure you're feeding yourself regularly, making sure, you know, if you can, um, making yourself something that is nurturing, right? And some days that might be making yourself a yummy pasta that could be nurturing. And some days it might be my body really, really needs um, all of the vitamins and minerals from some leafy greens, Right. But it's asking and trusting yourself to know what I need. And if I'm just not, if I just haven't been thinking about what I've been eating, then that's maybe a cue to check in and see if I can sit with it for a while and see what would be good 
for my satisfaction level, but what would also make me feel good, right? And a question that I love to ask when it comes to learning to become an intuitive eater would be, um, how do I want to feel after this meal, right? So after breakfast, I probably want to feel energized, right? And that may be different of dinner. Maybe dinner, I want to feel satisfied, right? And so, or maybe opposite, depending on what I'm doing. But um, so to, to really check in and say, can I make those connections? Please share more. I'm so like, I'm learning so much already. Good. I'm glad. I, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, people are like, cause I think that our, you know, and especially with quarantine and the new year coming and the winter blues, right. January is going to come and people are going to be like, do this diet because you should lose all your quarantine weight and you should right do all these things. And my press would really be to, um, I, to, to take the focus off of weight and body modification and to go in, back into trusting yourself right? Just saying, where am I disconnected from myself? Because it makes sense that so many of us have been disconnected from ourselves um, during this time because we've been coping, right? So that's the compassionate piece is saying, I'm not mad that um, my movement has looked different or my diet has looked different because I've been coping with something that literally I had no idea that I was going to have to cope with in 2020, right? And so um, we want to be really compassionate. And then we want to say, how can I, how can I connect back to myself? Our relationship with food and body also is directly connected with how we're feeling um, mentally too. And I think my biggest advice is that um, dieting may be a temporary fix, but it usually always leaves us leave us leaves us feeling pretty crappy about ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's good to know going into the new year when all the New Year's resolutions and the Instagram mm-hmm. ads come up about <laughs> trying to lose weight. Yeah, especially since like you're right, losing weight like. It's all about body, like changing the way your body looks and not necessarily like taking care of what it needs. Yeah. And and coming back to that place, and I think that's where most um most mental mental struggles stem from is like a lack of trusting ourselves. And, you know, I just love I love the concept of intuitive eating that says you can trust your body. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't have to listen to a plan. Yeah. How how would you like advise someone like the steps to take to kind of like if someone was quite disconnected and feeling sad and like has and you they're feeling that those sad energies, how, what are some like steps you would also take to kind of help someone, I guess, what was I going to say? My mind is fun playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, what are those kind of steps? Oh, you guys will have to come back to me. I've completely lost. <laughs> I feel like okay. all the I hype from. I think I know what you're saying. I think you're asking about like how, do, how if someone notices they're disconnected, where do where do we even start? Like, yeah, where, do, where do you even start in like coping with that or like acknowledging that in order to like improve and kind of get get by with sad? Okay, so where does someone start? Um, okay, so you acknowledge. I think that I'm disconnected from myself, right? Um, and going back to why does that make sense that I'm disconnected? And then a question I like to ask um, is what, what does my wisdom say? Right. And, and I don't want you to tell yourself what your wisdom says. I want you to say, what does my wisdom say I need? Right. And let's just start there. Can, can my wisdom tell me one need that I have? Um, And it could be, you need to connect with friends again. Right. Um, And this is where journaling comes in. List making comes in. Right. Um, all of those kind of intentional things of saying, I want, I'm going to spend some time looking at why it makes sense that I feel this way. And how do I get back to my authentic self? 
So, um, yeah. And I can share an excerpt. Can I share an exercise that I do with clients? Please. Yeah. Love. (laughs) Cool. Um, so I think that, um, you know, I'd want to explore what the disconnection is. Does it feel like sadness? Does it feel like anger? Does it feel like fear? Feel like irritability? Right. So let's just say that it is, um, irritability, right. Is it feels like the main kind of feeling I would ask a client to then kind of personify that irritability, just a picture. Like, who is that? Whose voices are those? Um, you know, how long have, have those voices been with you? Right. Um, and, um, they might make it, um, so maybe that irritability is like really critical. And I'd say, who is that like? And, and one of my favorites is like when a client told me, um, it's Miranda Priestly from The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> wow. That is iconic. So, right. And so, and I think a lot of us actually have an inner Miranda Priestly critic that's just oh, yeah, for critical sure. and perfectionistic. Um, and and underneath that, right, Miranda Priestly is actually very sad, right? Because she's like in a feeling marriage and she's feeling like very alone. And so what we want to do is we don't want to fight Miranda Priestly because if we if we fight Miranda Priestly, she's like so smart and she's probably going to just fight us back in like a more um, dark way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we just personify it um, and to say, okay, let's get to know her. What does she think she's doing? Right. Because those parts of ourselves developed to protect us. Right. In some way. And people are like, what, what my depression protects me? Well, yeah, because um, maybe it thinks it's like, telling you it's not wanting you to be let down again. So it's just telling you, let's just be sad so that you don't have expectation or maybe your anger is keeping people away from me, from you, or maybe your critic is trying to help you fit in. Right. So let's say you have an irritable critic and it's like Miranda Priestley and she just wants, she, she thinks if she criticizes you enough, you will be perfect and then you will be loved or you will be perfect and then you will fit in or you'll be perfect and then you will be successful. And we want to thank her for all of the work that she's been doing. And we also want to see if she can let us trust ourselves and try another way. Right. I love that you said that because I feel like a lot of like that inner critic is like not having that talk with it, just being like, no, like, bye. But like what you're saying is actually sit with it and then like, thank you. But like, we're going to try this now. Like, yeah, not like just push it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to shrink it, but we're trying for it to willingly shrink. Right. Um, And so we actually, I actually like to envision it like, let's say I'm having a hard day and I might tell myself or tell my therapist or tell my journal, Miranda Priestley is as tall as my house today. She's huge, right? She's like taking up all the space in this room. And then I can say, what do I need to do to shrink her? Right. I need to understand her first. And then I need to tell her, I know that you think being critical helps me fit in. Um, but, but my wisdom knows something that she doesn't know, right? Cause these parts of ourselves right? Um, these egos that have developed, right? Our anxiety, our critic, our depression, we could, we could make a little, little person for all of them. Um, they are one dimensional. They don't know like the complexities and the richness of who we are. Mm -hmm. So they don't know that 
my friends actually don't want me to be perfect because that doesn't keep me being really real and they want my raw vulnerability, right? And so I'm going to ask her to trust me, right? And I'm going to say, you can come along, but you can't drive, right? You can like come in my pocket. You can like hang out over there, um, but I need you to trust me. And then, and then I want to work on integrating truth, right? Integrating true experiences. So let's say your sadness is telling you nobody cares about you, right? And you have, you've personified an ego and she's saying, yes, nobody cares about you. Um, you want to say, you know, my whole self, my wisdom tells me that's not true. It tells me my friends actually do care about me. And I'm going to ask you to see if, see if we can, um, experiment with how that might be different. If I believe that people care about me, then I might actually get this need met. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I I love this because it's like not a band-aid fix. It's actually thinking about like, why is this fear here? And why is it trying to protect me? Like, what is that root cause? And not just being like, just pushing it away. Yeah. Also, also what I found super powerful about that was personifying the emotion and creating it and making it like a physical thing, like being able to see it as like, it fills the whole room and I want to shrink it. That really gives you like a visual representation of how you're feeling instead of just like trying to combat it. Like when it's just abstract, I guess. Yeah. And, and it distances it from you, right? Cause you are not your sadness. You are not your depression. You're not your critical thought. You're not your perfectionism, right? They're part, they're parts of you that need to be integrated in another way, but we need to create distance from you. And, and that part that is kind of so mean to you. I want to call my inner critic Miranda Priestley too. I love that. <laughs> great, great. I've uh, another, it's interesting. People have all different ones, but she, Miranda Priestley comes up a lot. So she's a powerful character. And then, wow. Um, yeah, when I'm working a lot of times when I'm working on like body image stuff with people, they bring up Regina George from oh my God, I was literally just thinking that as you were saying body stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, that is yeah. classic. Right. Because Regina George just wants to fit in. Right. That's all she wants. Right. Is to belong. So that's a, it's a that's a good character to think about that part of us that really tries to fit in when. Um... I have another question. So when you think that you have sad or you're not sure, what are like the signs that you think it needs to go from kind of combating it on your own and pushing it to seeking professional help? Because I know sometimes a lot of people can't tell or unsure or just don't know if they should. Yeah. I think that if it goes more than two weeks, um, so if it's like a consistent two weeks, I think that that would be a sign. And I think that, um, I think if you're thinking about it at all, I think if you're asking that question, that's probably a good indicator, um, in and of itself. And, and I would reach out to a therapist and talk that out. And then from there, the two of you can decide, do I need to talk to a psychiatrist and get medication? Do I need to right? And so, um, I think that, extended period of time without, without breaks, right? So if you're feeling consistently lethargic and sad for a two week period, and then I think if you're asking yourself that question at all, it is worth um, talking to your doctor or a therapist or both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how about like those days where it's like, you can't get out of bed in a way and like you're just how do you like shift your mentality to help you do those like help you complete those tips that you just gave us yeah I mean so if there's multiple days where you can't get out of bed that would definitely be a sign that you need further help Mm -hmm. but I actually that is on my list too that we haven't talked about of 
things, um, or maybe I did, I did mention it is like a morning routine. And, and even if you're just going through the motions to see if it helps. And my morning routine is, um, a meditation. I use the calm app and then, um, journaling, right. And sometimes I can really journal and I'm just like writing and writing, writing and other days I'm really going through emotions and I like write a few sentences and I'm like, I have nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then connecting, you know, connecting some to some part of your spirituality, I think could be important. So, um, like I have a friend who reads, uh, tarot cards in the morning. That's like part of her morning routine. If, um, uh, you come from a faith system to do prayer or something from that place, if you don't have a spiritual system, um, to, uh, stay in meditation and then a book that I have felt really help helpful through quarantine and, and through this is, um, uh, from a Buddhist perspective, it's Pema Chodron. It's called When Things Fall Apart. Um, and it's hard advice for difficult times. And I'm going to tell you, it has been transformational for me. And it's not a book that I could read straight through because it's just so full of, of wisdom. And I wasn't raised with a Buddhist tradition. And so a lot of it is was really new concepts for me. Um, but uh, so I, I read it kind of as a, you would read a sacred text, um, just one, I read one chapter at a time and then I let that influence my journaling. So that became a part of my morning routine. What was one thing that you off the top of your head, you remember from that book that really stuck with you as powerful? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, I wish I had it in front of me. I, did, I forgot, I forgot about it till this moment. Um, I think something that I don't, um, totally have a grasp on, but it was about letting go of hope, which sounds like crazy because I want, I'm a therapist and I believe in holding hope for people, but it was like this idea of like hope, uh, if hope exists, then like the, then fear exists too. But if like we have no expectation, um, then we can have more inner peace. And that's a wild concept that I'm still wrestling with and, and working through, Um, but a lot of, a lot of the stuff from that perspective was, is about letting go of like control and being with what is and being present with what is. That's so funny you say that because Sam and I were just talking about that on another episode we did about our expectations of our twenties versus the reality. And just like, if we didn't have all these expectations, like it wouldn't even like, like clue, like we wouldn't even clue in that like something didn't happen. Like it would just like, there would be more peace if we didn't make expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's interesting with, um, you know, with seasonal affective disorder and the holidays and then the pandemic on top of that is there's so much expectation around the holidays. And I think that people always and often feel let down. Um, and, and it makes sense that we have, we celebrate holidays around the, you know, the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, right? That's humanity. We've found ways to celebrate like light and darkness and it's beautiful. Um, but I think that, um, that can, the expectation of the holidays and expectation that like we will have joy and like these beautiful things can, can make things harder when you are struggling with, um, seasonal depression. It's true. It's just expectation to show up with your family, even if you're going through a rough time or like gift giving and being present and like going to, you know, every family or friend's houses and just showing up is a lot during the holiday season. Yeah, it is. It is. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any more tips that you had? Um, I'm looking, um, I think the last one I'll, I'll put a plug in is I think yoga can be a really gentle movement or, or gentle way to move your body and connect with your body. And, um, one of my personal favorites is yoga with Adrian. She's on YouTube. Love her. Yes. <gasps> I love her. <laughs> she has a yoga for the winter blues that I actually did this morning. Um, and, and so I just love that. I just, I love this idea that like, we're all in this together. Right. And that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, millions of people are affected by seasonal depression and seasonal sadness. And I think that when we don't talk about it, we feel like we're alone in it. Um, And I don't think that saying we're together makes it go away. It's not like, yay, we all have it. That's great. It's, but it's going, we all have it. Okay. So how can we show up nurturing for ourselves? How can we show up nurturing for others? Um, And uh, just knowing that you're not alone in the season and in this time of COVID deeply impacting you. And I hope like this episode does help people who do feel the winter blues. I hope they feel like get the tips that they need, but also feel like not alone because we also are going through it too. And even you as a therapist, like we all go through it. Yeah. We all go through it. Yeah. I've I've said it a million times going to therapy, but that's a way that I stave it off too, is I'm a therapist in therapy. And so um, noticing that like that's needed to have space for yourself. My last question for you today was if there was one thing you could tell all millennials about when dealing with um, sad, what would it be? Like the one thing you'd want everyone to kind of know or. Yeah. Why I, so why I love the millennial generation as I'm an elder millennial, I like to say, Um, but, but why I love the millennial generation is because I think that we're a generation of um, changing the way we interact with our feelings um, and we are making more space for them. And we're like living because of that, we want more deeply connected relationships in in all relationships, romantic relationships and friendships. I think we're just doing life differently and more deeply. And so I think my um, advice is what I want all millennials to know is that the courage to feel all of your feelings, even the dark ones, um, is worth it because um, – and I don't want you just to f- – to feel them. You don't have to feel them alone. I want you to share them with others because in that vulnerability, that's where authentic connection happens. Um, and that your feelings are not a burden. Amazing last words. Thanks. I want to say thank you for coming on the episode with us today. And I want, we've learned absolutely so much. I feel like I had no idea how to cope with any type of blues before this episode. So it was massive. Um, Where can our listeners find you if they do decide they want to learn a little bit more? Yeah, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram as millennial therapist, just all one word. Um, And I have a podcast with um, another incredible uh, therapist, Sarah Brill, um, and it's called Two Therapists in Therapy. Um, where we talk about all things therapy related. I love it. Yeah. Everyone check it out. Thanks. Thank you for being on our episode. Thanks for having me.